So I look out here and I see so many familiar and dear faces and just want to say a very warm welcome back to you. Um, and equally want to say a very, very warm welcome to those of you who are new to this retreat. And if you are new to this retreat, just some introductions. This is Yanai, I'm Christina, and this is Narayan. And we're delighted to be here. Delighted to be here. And I hope that for those of you who are new to IMS or new to this retreat, that you will soon feel very much at home here. I, I see so many of you who actually somehow managed to turn up here most summers. Um, and and I know, you know, I know that when I come to IMS to teach, and I come here several times a year, that it always has a feeling of, of a, a sense of homecoming for me. Uh, you know, and it's not just the physical building. It, it's the whole kind of climate of of welcome and generosity and support. And and I know many of you who come here regularly have also spoken about that sense of coming home. And I don't think it's just the geographical location, you know, the bricks and the mortar of this building. In in some ways, uh, I, I think this center is is... is the building itself is kind of symbolic in some ways. And I think when, when we return, that what we're coming home to is, again, not just the address, but actually what being here on retreat and being here at IMS uh, means to us, what it reminds us of, you know, the way that being here on retreat has, has touched so many people here. And I think that sense of homecoming is actually part of many, many spiritual traditions, um, many contemplative, contemplative traditions speak a lot about homecoming, you know, about this returning to, uh, to, to walking a pathway, to, to walking a pathway of awakening, to walking a pathway of peace, to walking a pathway that kind of in many ways reminds us of our own sense of possibility as human beings. You know, the possibilities of compassion, the possibilities of understanding, the possibilities of, of being at peace with ourselves. And how, you know, a retreat is, is simply a format and the form that we use here is simply a form that is here to support us in our own capacity to listen inwardly, to touch base again with what we most deeply value, with what we most deeply aspire to, to reconnect with that, uh, those seeds within ourselves of you know, a, a deep sense of, of, of kindness, of care, of wakefulness, and of inner freedom. When I practice, I, I am often remembering you know, one of the instructions that the Buddha repeatedly gave during his life to those who were committing themselves to this, this pathway of awakening. 
with the Buddha, they would offer the encouragement to disentangle from the world and establish ourselves in mindfulness and in solitude. And then there really can be really helpful words to remember and to reflect on in the beginning of a retreat, what those instructions might mean for us. Because when the Buddha said disentangle from the world, he didn't talk about pushing the world away. You know, he didn't talk about denial or abandonment. But to disentangle. Have you noticed how easy it is to get tangled up in life? You know, with worry and with anxiety and with planning and rehearsing and expectation and, you know, fear and concern. To disentangle from the world is really kind of beginning to to explore that possibility of another way of being with our world of experience moment to moment, other than being lost in preoccupation and rumination and identification. Because it's always so interesting for me in in this teaching, in this tradition, the, the Buddha speaks both about this disentanglement and yet so much emphasized connectedness and community and, and care and social care and social justice and being a, a sort of conscious participant in the world that we live in, yet from this inner place of disentanglement. To establish ourselves in mindfulness, um, that's a big ask. You know, we're very easily established in habit. We're very easily established in forgetfulness. Um, we're very easily established in, in uh, our preoccupations with past and with future. To establish ourselves in mindfulness, to commit to a present moment wakefulness, <coughs> and to establish ourselves in solitude. And again, that can sound a rather strange invitation sitting here with 95 other people you know it doesn't exactly look like solitude does it It looks like a big crowd but that's also so important that solitude does not mean again uh, somehow divorcing ourselves from community or from friendship or from connections and then what the Buddha was really speaking about was this solitude upon, of not looking outwardly to uh, be affirmed in who we are. That, that solitude of a kind of inner confidence and inner completeness and inner wholeness, which is, allows us to care without leaning. It takes a big effort to get to a retreat. I'm really aware of that. I'm really aware of how, for many of you, actually making the arrangements to get here is almost the hardest part. You know, who's going to look after the kids and feed the cat and take out the garbage and, you know, cover your work at home and, you know, all of that, that life stuff that's part of all of our lives. And I'm aware of how much effort it takes to get here, and I really applaud you in that. Um, it's not the end of the story, by the way. Just getting here. Uh, you know, this is a beginning. Um, and that there's something, I, I feel there's a kind of reorientation that, that is really helpful to consciously acknowledge in arriving here. 
that it's more than just arriving here physically. It's somehow also arriving here psychologically and emotionally of being here fully. And, you know, there's a couple of things, I think, uh, useful explorations. And I, I think, uh, you know, one useful exploration in beginning a retreat would be to, to ask of yourself, you know, would it, what would it be helpful for me to put down to allow myself to be here most fully? That's a big question, you know, and the answers may be very individual. And yet I suspect that if we spoke them out loud, we'd probably find a lot of parallels, you know. We may be asked to, to put down some of our, our habits of, of busyness. You know, it's really easy to be busy on a retreat, even though there's nothing to do. In, um, it, the habit of busyness can be so strong it might be the habits of judgment or impatience or comparing a really big one I would ask you to put down in the beginning of a retreat please don't use the, uh, don't think of this as work this is not work there, there is a joyfulness in learning to be present you know it is not another project you know, where you have to come out at the end of this with certain boxes you can tick off, you know, about what you've accomplished or, or, or the longer boxes of what you didn't accomplish. You know. <laughs> this is not work. This, this is in many ways what we do here is the most restorative and renewing and restful gift that we could offer to ourselves. You know, it, it's, it's strange, you know, it, it's... Uh, you know, I, I, it's because become such a Western practitioner position almost. You know, I'm working on something, and I'm coming on retreat to work on something. You know. Please don't. Please don't allow yourself to meet what is here. Allow yourself to not have too many agendas. Allow yourself to not have too many projects. There's a there's a wonderful piece by Ajahn Chah. You know, he says, traditionally the Eightfold Path is taught with, with eight steps, such as right understanding, right speech, right concentration, and so forth. But the true Eightfold Path is within us. Two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, a tongue, and a body. These eight doors are our entire path, and the mind is the one that walks on the path. Know these doors, examine them, and all the dharmas will be revealed. The heart of the path is so simple. No need for long explanations. That won't stop us, by the way. Uh, Give up clinging to love and hate. Just rest with things as they are. That is all I do in my own practice. Do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. Do not become enlightened. When you sit, let it be. When you walk, let it be. Grasp at nothing, resist nothing. Step over here where it's cool, out of the battle. Why not give it a try? So one question when we begin a retreat is really, what would help us to be here most wholeheartedly? What would it help us to put down? But I think the other question that goes along with this so much is, what would it really be helpful for us to cultivate to be here most wholeheartedly? It might be patience, it might be kindness, it might be perseverance, it might be willingness, 
It, it might be commitment. It might be compassion. It, these are maybe you know these are are not automatically born of the practice. Sometimes it really takes a a conscious intention. You know, I think in some of the busiest times of our life, we dream of a place like this, and we dream of a situation like this. You know, that opportunity to step out of the fire and step out of the battle. I don't know what it's like where you live or how you live, but in my life, I don't have people running around putting food on the table and doing my shopping for me and, you know, just having a background staff taking care of me all the time. You know, I have to do things just like you have to do things. And so in many ways, what we have here is so geared to support us so wholeheartedly. But you can almost count on it, given the perversity of our minds, you know. It, come day two or three, we'll be thinking, oh yeah, it's enough of this, you know. I need to go back to, you know, doing and fixing and producing and, you know, getting busy again. And surely I made a mistake, you know. I should have done something else with my vacation other than coming on retreat. Allow yourself to be so patient with yourself. There's two dimensions to how we explore a retreat. You know, one dimension is, of course, what happens here in the hall. You know, we spend a lot of hours in here, a lot of time in here. A lot of time, it's, it's not about being a meditator, it's not about having a particular kind of experience, but about learning really to be at peace with ourselves learning the, the courage and the willingness to, to meet whatever is, is present for us in every moment. And of course, you know, many people do develop much more one-pointedness, much more clarity, much more capacity to sustain attention. But that's in many ways secondary. And what's primary here is, is, is that we can actually rest in our own mind and heart and body and not feel that there's something missing and something lacking and somewhere else to be, somewhere better to be. So this is one aspect of the retreat, is this whole world of kind of meeting and befriending ourselves and understanding ourselves. But the other aspect of a retreat, of course, is what happens when we open our eyes. We move out onto our walking path or we move out into the world just as we do every day in our lives. And we see, you know, when, it, when we open our eyes, you know, that this is where we meet the world. This is where we interface with the world. And the Buddha, of course, did not just teach sitting meditation, by the way. He really taught the living of an awakened life, you know, that includes every aspect of our life. And I, I think what is so important here is to just acknowledge that we make a retreat together. You know, of course, in many ways, you know, what we have here is a very intentional space. But in a way, each one of us contributes to actually creating this retreat together through what we bring, through how we engage with the world. And you can almost see this as a sort of microcosmic view of our life. And we, we know when we move out into the world in our daily lives, you know, there's plenty of room there, isn't there, for impatience and intolerance and, and judgment and frustration and, and busyness. And we also know when we move out into our lives outside of a retreat 
there's also plenty of scope for, for tolerance and patience and kindness and care and compassion. And I really encourage you to, to, to see a retreat almost as, as a microcosmic view of our, of our lives outside. But here we have the, the tremendous gift of the space and the time to really give a dedicated caring. Just a few words before I hand over to Yanai, just about how we're, we structure this retreat. Um, the Buddha placed the path of awakening very much in the classroom of our lives, not in some other space or some other, some other time, but within the classroom of our bodies, feeling, mind, and moment-to-moment process. The Buddha put it very clearly, this is, this is where we awaken, this is where we learn. So there's two discourses that have primarily influenced the whole development of, of insight meditation. And one of these discourses is called the, the Satipatthana Sutta, or the Four Ways of Establishing Mindfulness. And throughout the retreat, you know, how we guide the instructions will very much follow through the rhythm of this discourse, which is something very alive for us. The second discourse, which I think has primarily influenced this path, although it's often been relegated to being a sort of poor cousin, is actually the, the Metta Sutta, the discourse of, of boundless friendliness and boundless kindness. And this is the attitudinal base of mindfulness. This is the attitudinal base of insight meditation. And this is something... It's very important never to forget, to really bear that in mind, that everything we do here is a behavioral gesture of befriending and kindness and care. So I very much uh, uh, look forward to, to meeting with you over the days to come and to welcoming you here. Forget I, these microphones. There's no whispers. <laughs> so I'd like to also uh, extend my very warm welcome to you all. And uh, for myself, but really for all of us, um, Christina, Narayan, but also for the whole of IMS, also to to express that that welcome in the fullest sense of welcoming each and every one of you in all the aspects of who and what you are, or who and what you know yourself to be. Particularly if there's any way in which you recognize yourself or feel yourself seen that is maybe different or not in alignment with the, um, the predominant appearance of things. that uh, So... Any way in which you, which you are, is welcome here. And it may be that in any expression of difference through racial, through sexual, through um, cultural, religious um, frameworks, that we, we notice that there's something about how we feel different or how we've experienced difference or being treated differently. And it's really important that all these forms of difference are something that we, 
that we not just honor and value, but we name that honoring and that valuing. It can be to do with ability, it can be to do with our cultural backgrounds, it can be do, to do with our gender identities, everything and every way you may know yourself or be known is really welcome here. And it's something that I really appreciate about IMS, that there's been some real attention given to the importance of this understanding and this work over over years and considerable time now. And it's something that I think is really important for our world and really serves our retreat. I'd like to also just introduce Luis, who's here and who will be offering uh, yoga in the afternoons and there's a real blessing and support for the retreat and the practice here and uh, it's also very lovely just to see you again and we said hello already but I've known Luis a long time and uh, and that sense of seeing both familiar friends here some of you I've known over many many years and uh, equally many unfamiliar faces to myself some of you I don't know and some of you may be here the very first time and uh, it's quite something to come to IMS to come to a retreat center such as this if you haven't done this sort of thing before and uh, if that's your situation or experience I'd like to say that although you may not have had a chance to chat with too many people so far um I find rather reliably that it's kind of both very ordinary and rather good-hearted people that come to IMS. It's not that anyone's somehow unusual, extraordinary, or on the edge of our world or culture, but uh, and, and more so these days, we see that uh, the whole world of meditation is something that rec- is recognized in, in our world as something of value, something of benefit, something that can really contribute our lives and this is uh, this is really a heartening thing for me and at the same time I think there's something really useful about meditation not being too ordinary too normal too oh yeah that's what most people seem to be doing these days because actually there's something about this practice and this teaching that is extraordinary that is revolutionary and that is potentially challenging to us in all kinds of ways that might at some level not be entirely comfortable, but that are ultimately (coughs) really wholesome, deeply beneficial, and profoundly liberating. And so part of what's important in coming on a retreat like this is just remembering what it is that moves us. And what, what is it that brings us here? And it may be, for some of you, it's something, again, that you've done many times. And you're here because this is what you do in the middle of July. You know, it's, it's been that regular, that steady. But there's going to be more to it than that. There's going to be a reason why you do that. And likewise, if you're coming for the first time, what is it that moves us to come here? Because probably you had to organize it quite some months ago just to get a place on the retreat. And we just stop and think, oh yes, there's something that we as human beings are deeply interested in that we care about, that we, we could say we love, that we value. And it's to do with the nature of what it is to be alive. And I think the sense we have that there's the possibility, there's the potential for more to be discovered, to be revealed, to be realized in my life than perhaps 
has so far been the case. And that supports really making an intention, bringing ourselves to this situation as we all have done, as you all have done. And that sense of an intention to serve our deepest well-being, to serve what it is that we care about from the depths of our heart. And of course we might articulate that in different ways, with different language. But for me it seems at the heart of it it's something we share. A profound caring and a, a sense that in this also this practice and this retreat that we're engaging in here and the, what I trust will be something that continues to make ripples in our lives and into the world beyond the time of this retreat. This is something that is for our own welfare but is also for the welfare of our friends, of our families, of our companions here and ultimately for the welfare of all beings. And beyond just what we call beings, but for the welfare of life, for all forms and expressions of what is alive. Because ultimately, we are connected to and not fundamentally separate from life in all of its expressions. And so having that sense of what we care about deeply for our life and for those lives we're most closely connected with, which is really, I think, where we touch that depth of that sense of aspiration, that together with a sense of serving that which is greater, that which is larger, that which is ultimately inclusive of all that this life expresses. And within that then the specific intentionality that's required to engage in practice, that's one of the, the factors of the Eightfold Path of, of, of wise or skillful intention, which is based on Understanding and seeing correctly the way things are. And one of the things that we can see, one of the things we can recognize is that the fullness of our lives makes it hard to find space and time for what is most important. And this, I think Christina was touching on this already a little bit, just uh, continuing on that theme, that sense of needing to make space for what's important. And this is really a lot of what a retreat is. As I see it, as I understand it, it's like saying, what happens if I put that which I care about the most at the center of my life and orient my activity, my engagement, my energy towards serving that? It's not the only way that could be expressed, but it's certainly a way one can do that. I'm just noticing the uh, microphone wobbling in my ear and I want to check, can you hear me alright? Is it in the right, because I can't see it. And I might have flipped over behind my shoulder for all I could know. Is it still coming through? Good. Okay. And I knew that when I said that there was a risk I would lose that train of thought because half of my mind is still somewhere over the Atlantic finding its way here. Um, <laughs> but I still needed to check if it was working. Okay, so in terms of the coming into the retreat and the seeing of, yes, the fullness of things, how we make space from the busyness of, of often many good, many wholesome, many rich and wonderful things, making a choice that says, actually, I want to simplify. I want to put down and leave aside the normal activities of my life, which we do, coming on retreat, and coming here, actually putting down a little bit more. 
we traditionally used to talk about putting down reading and writing when we talk about this in, in retreats, sort of stepping away from the world of the written word and the way in which we engage with that, of course, which can be incredibly useful in our lives and beneficial and wholesome. You know, we wouldn't have got here without that capacity, that facility in our world wouldn't have developed in many wonderful ways without it. So it's not critical of that in any way, but just seeing that our engagement with the world of words often is a place we become lost and entangled and that easily fills up the space of our hearts. And when I say we talk about reading and writing in, I'm saying in the old days, actually what we really are dealing with is not that traditional form that involved pens and paper. These days it's about screens and buttons. And the incredibly important um, I want to say invitation, I want to make it a bit further and say instruction. It's also a bit of begging as well, I have to confess. Turn your machines, your devices, your phones off. Put them away. It's really important. Not just for you, but for everyone else around you. That we step out of all of that, just for a little while, and see what happens. Some of you you will know well what this is about. Some of you may be thinking, why? I can... You know, surely it's not such a big deal. I've had so many conversations with people that have begun in the context of a retreat along the lines of, well, I didn't think it would do any harm to just check my texts, messages, notifications, whatever else it is. And then some great thing has unfolded that really didn't need to happen on the retreat. There's something about actually having a willingness to make space from the normal, ordinary activities, of which this is one. That's really hard for us. We're so used to living so close to those remarkable, mysterious, incredible and useful things that an instant source of information, whenever we need to know something, you know, access to contact with people we care about, basis of organising our lives, all of that, we know that. And, you know, recently they've come up with a term, it's been diagnosed now, you know, mobile or cell phone separation anxiety. It's a recognized condition. It's endemic in our young people and probably in our not-so-young people as well. It, the short form of it is it's nomophobia. <laughs> it has a term now. Nomophobia. And mo, I guess, is from mobile, which is how it's talked about in other countries. Here it would be maybe no see, no cell phobia. Anyway... In a way that's both light and firm, I hope you can hear what I'm suggesting really clearly. There's a remarkable relief. After that initial unease and anxiety that we might notice or recognize, there's an incredible relief that comes from saying, actually, the world can get on without me. Because that's what it's saying. The world can get on without me. When we turn it off, we put it away and we say and we let our friends and our family know that you won't be able to get hold of me on my devices until Sunday next week. I'm just not there. And if there's an emergency, there's a number. And I'm guessing Marilyn gave you the number or told you where to find the number. To, if you need to let someone know how they can get you, it works. It's really great. It works fine. But having said that, turning it off, putting it away. Now, 
it's actually a real gift to the world as well as support for the retreat and a support for our own practice and each other. It's a real gift to the world because the world is probably kind of worried about how it will cope without you. (laughs) Really. And one day it's going to have to. So just give it a little practice. Just let it know it's going to be okay by letting that go. And see what that offers to you. Reading and writing likewise in general is really helpful to let go of in terms of books and paper. But this is, this is the big one these days it seems. One of the things that we've done in recent times and years and on this retreat we're similarly going to do it is offer the possibility for you, if you wish, to let go not just symbolically by turning it off but physically by handing it over your phone, device, or whatever it is, your tablet or device or whatever you use for that kind of interaction. We will tomorrow have a basket where you can bring your phone in the morning, put it in the basket, there'll be some paper or an envelope to put it in just so you can label whose is whose, and it will be locked away. No one will use it to make long international phone calls. (laughs) It will be locked away. And it will be available to you at the end of the retreat. And it works quite well. And there's something actually really quite beautiful and quite moving, I've found in previous retreats here and elsewhere where people have done that. Something quite moving about that sense of someone, just those who choose, it's not obligatory, just physically separating oneself. Having that courage and commitment to say, that's not an option I'm planning on using this week. And then I think there's a kind of an outbreath that happens. It's like, okay, this is the framework I'm offering myself. And in that offering oneself the possibility of that simplicity, that openness, that not being busy with the world, what we actually allow ourselves and invite ourselves into is a greater degree of intimacy with our own experience and a commitment to that. It's like we're marrying ourselves for this time more fully and we're not going to abandon that relationship for the temptations that might appear around us. There's a real potency to that. And that potency is something which really serves this journey that we're engaged in together. So I would also like to extend to you my my deepest good wishes for your time here on this retreat, that this be a time for your own growth and unfoldment, for your own journey of discovery and deepening. And this retreat also be a contribution directly to your own deepening in wisdom and kindness for your well-being and for the welfare of all beings. And I look forward to meeting with you and journeying with you along the way. So, all right. So I'd like to add my welcome as well. And um, I'm always aware at the beginning of a retreat particularly of everyone coming from different conditions and circumstances. I know a number of you on this retreat, so I actually know your conditions and circumstances, but many of you I don't know either. 
But I do know, get any group of people together in any given moment, and some of you, you know, quite a mundane, ordinary kind of life these days, nothing dramatic happening, just kind of, you know, moving along. Others of you, you know, beautiful, um, extraordinary things happening in your life. Um, Maybe something really quite unexpected and surprising happened before you came here. And so you're you're kind of coming with that sense of um, fullness within. And others of you, enormous sorrow, enormous grief because of recent experiences of loss. And so I really just want to um, say that we know, you know, it, it always is this way. And everybody is welcome, as Christina and Jan and I both said. And everybody is deeply welcome here, whatever your circumstances may be. This practice, I don't want to sound fundamentalist right off the bat. Maybe I will later on in the week. But it is. It is the best thing in the world. <laughs> I can't imagine my life without it. And I know there are many of you in this room um, for which this is true as well. There's something about the, the grace of being awake and aware and sensitive and aspiring to loving kindness and compassion and patience and, and wisdom that, um, you know, we, we begin to see, the path begins to open up for us, whether we're here for the first time or whether we are deeply experienced in this practice. So what I'm saying is whatever your circumstances or conditions are, beautiful, wonderful, um, terrible, um, (coughs) horrible, mundane, or ordinary, all of us can take up this practice. And it will truly be of benefit as we do. Now, Christina was talking about how, you know, it takes a lot to get here and um, that it takes a lot to stay here as well. I want to offer a a, um, teaching that one of my colleagues is fond of. He says to remember the mind that wanted to practice. (laughs) Because as the retreat goes on, even if you came here in deep bliss, it is totally unlikely that that's going to be sustained from moment to moment to moment. It is going to change whatever the conditions and circumstances that you came out of are. There are going to be ups, there are going to be downs. And so to remember why you wanted to come, to remember that mind that went to such a great extent to get yourself here, and so much involved in that. I was at um, the center that I'm at all the time, the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, today teaching a day-long gone loving-kindness. And there were two people on this retreat who were supposed to come to this retreat and stay with us for the next um, number of days and circumstances changed in their lives and things got in the way and so they decided that they needed to cancel and not come. And um, they really wanted to come, you know, and with the recognition, because they're experienced with this practice, with the recognition that it's not always a piece of cake, 
you know, that it goes up, it goes down, things are going well, things are not going well, we lose our faith, we gain our faith, all sorts of things occur. But if we can remember the mind that wanted to practice, that signed up for this retreat, and if you can just kind of catch sight of that mind, you know, that sense of inspiration. But there's so much difference between inspiration and training or practice. You know, all of us had to be inspired to get ourselves here. But that's really quite different than the training that we are undergoing. As Christina said, it's a joyful training. It is indeed a training nonetheless. And retreats really are their own thing. I have to mention, though, that um, many of you are familiar with Thai, with Thich Nhat Hanh, and he calls retreats treats. <laughs> so you can remember that as well. To practice beautifully and fruitfully means that when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, we recognize that it is of equal benefit, that there's something precious in that. There's something mysterious in that. There's something that we don't know yet. And so if we can see the whole thing as this precious treasure, regardless of the content, regardless of the thoughts and the emotions and the, the this or the that, regardless of the content, if we can continue to be present and awake and aware to the best of our ability, all of us are always only doing our best, and we can, we can kind of count on that within ourselves to allow the process to happen on its own. You know, this is how this practice works, is that it happens on its own in our willingness to be awake and aware. So I say this, you know, for those of you who are new to this practice, who might have the idea that it's linear to disabuse you of that impression right away. And for those of you who are very experienced to just remind you of this, because sometimes you pop out of a retreat and can't wait to get back, and then forget that it really is its own thing. It has its own own pathway. Remembering that everything is practice, to welcome, to soften, to practice open-heartedness in the midst of it all, because that's the best use of our time. That is the transformative element, actually, to be present within our lives with affectionate interest, affectionate curiosity, recognizing that we don't know, we can't know what is going to happen in the next moment. We can know what is happening here and now, and we can bring great love and compassion and affection to ourselves from moment to moment. Resolving to aspire to inner freedom rather than comfort. Instead of aiming towards comfort, seeing if we can orient ourselves towards inner freedom, because there is really a big difference between the two. It's not that 
there aren't going to be situations of comfort here. Because of course, as Christina was pointing out, our food is served to us. And for most of us, that is enormously comforting. And the food is really nutritious around here. And you don't have to think about your five servings of veggies. You know, you can take that off of your list of trying to get that in every day. Because um, it's very good. It's very nutritious. And it just, you know, it just kind of appears. And it's, it's quite an extraordinary thing. And everyone having their own room now, you know, it's quite luxurious in its own way, too. As most of us know, in terms of the way things are in the world at large, it's a very wonderful and comfortable and luxurious situation. So it's not as if there isn't some comfort. At the same time, there will be discomfort as well. You know, just maybe summer calling you and... Um, kind of wanting to follow that call. Again, remember the mind that signed up for this retreat. Remember the heart that deeply values being here and practicing in the way that we are. So Christina was talking about all of us participating and co-creating this retreat. And it is so true that we co-create this retreat. One way to help yourself and to help those around you, to help the retreat atmosphere and environment, is to take on the guidelines of what are called the five precepts. And they're very simple guidelines. They're ways of living a blameless life of dignity. They're ways of practicing non-harm of ourselves, this body, this mind, and of one another. They are not shoulds. They are not oppressive. They are simply beautiful ways to live. And sometimes these precepts in very complicated situations that people are in in their lives, it's not so easy to practice these precepts. Here it is really quite easy to practice these precepts for most of us. So enjoying the fact that we're in an uncomplicated environment, an uncomplicated situation in which we get to practice the precepts without having um, colliding conditions, which can sometimes make things so difficult. So it has that precepts all have to do with the recognition of interconnectedness. And I'd like to read each precept to you. They are a, a variation of Thai, of Thich Nhat Hanh's precepts, and they all have to do with interconnectedness. So as I read them, if you could just settle into your body and appreciate them and enjoy them and take each one on. And a couple of them I might want to explain a little bit, but basically just these, these precepts. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect life and to practice compassionate action. And just to let that come into your body and into your heart. I bet it's everybody's aspiration here anyway. So you're just formally verifying what you know is beautiful and true. 
The second one, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to only take what is offered to me and to practice generosity. That might come in when you're going through the food line and it says take two of whatever is being offered. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect relationships and to be celibate during this retreat. This is not saying that celibacy is better than sexual connectedness. It is saying that on this retreat, the beauty of being celibate is that you can keep to yourself, you can really appreciate a kind of inner solitude. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to practice noble silence. And noble silence means to understand that we're not talking to each other outside of interview groups or when we absolutely have to, not as something that is punitive, not as something that makes us feel more lonely or is isolating, but as something that actually can connect us to one another. And then getting a break from talking, going out into the world and being able to speak perhaps with a little bit more balance and um, wisdom and appreciation for communication. But getting that break is really quite important. And I would somehow like to enfold the cell phone thing into a precept. So (laughs) I may be stretching a bit, but I would say it fits in this precept around noble silence because what we're interested in is stillness and inner silence and awareness. So instead of the busyness of the phone, you know, calling to you, um, taking on this precept, even including your cell phone, might be a really, really good idea. I do want to say something about that myself, which is that um, some of you use your cell phones as alarms and are concerned about giving it in because it's, it's your alarm as well. But you can ask in the office for a clock. Excuse me? Every room has a clock now. Oh, every room now has a clock. So this is very wonderful. <laughs> so no, no reason. That used to be the reason people would tell us about the cell phones is the clock. So now I know. <laughs> um, anyway, I would like you to debate tonight, not in a worried kind of way, but just just reflect tonight about whether you want to, with reverence, hand it in tomorrow tomorrow morning. Just because it has a pull of its own, you know? It's almost like there's a little being in there pulling you, calling you. So just, 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 you know, make it easy on yourself instead of struggling all week. I honestly think that if you let go of all technology, you're going to have a great retreat, whatever whatever else happens. And then the last one, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to care for this body and mind and not to harm myself or others through the misuse of alcohol and drugs. 
And of course, no use of alcohol here. In terms of drugs, if you are taking prescribed drugs, it's a really good thing to continue to take them and not try to come off of them in this environment. People are always tempted to do that, but we would really encourage you to continue to take that which has been prescribed to you. It'll just give you a foundation upon which the practice can build. All right, so we are going to have a very short sit. Um, I would like you to just stand for a moment and then sit back down again. Okay, a short stand. Okay, so this will be short but potent. (laughs) Please find a way to sit that is comfortable for you. However, find a posture in which your spine can be upright and yet relaxed. Usually it's a good idea if you're on a chair to lean away from the back of the chair so that there's a kind of non-reliance and independence. But to allow your body to be at ease and relaxed and comfortable with the posture. Recognize that you're here. Be aware you're not at home. You're not at work. You're not with friends. You're not with family. You're here in this environment, this environment that has been completely set up so that we can look inside ourselves deeply, ask the right questions, and know liberation of heart. So recognize where you have placed yourself. Notice if there are any emotional reactions to where you have placed yourself. Nervousness or anxiety, excitement, happiness, peace, concern. Just know and make room for that reaction. Don't believe that it's telling you the truth. Just make room for the reaction.
And now just to ask yourself why you are here, what your intentions are in being here. Resolving to release and relinquish agendas and expectations about how things will go. But right here and now, what is the deepest intention that you have? Make it something big enough, worthy enough of yourself. See if this intention resonates anywhere within your body, the chest area, the heart area, the belly. Where can you feel this intention? Breathing in and breathing out. Resting within your body. A clear sense of this body just sitting just breathing, just sensing, just listening, not having to do anything. What a relief. Allowing yourself to sense the other beings in this room. Resolving not to treat one another like obstacles getting in your way. That's not real solitude. But instead... beings to wish well. Wishing yourself and everyone else in this room the best. Extending the hand of friendship to everyone that you'll be sitting with during this week. Allowing this to resonate within your heart and very much including yourself.
silent and utterly present, impeccably present for the next couple of minutes. May we look into our hearts with clarity of mind. May we look into ourselves with warmth of heart. And may we share this clarity of mind and warmth of heart with all beings everywhere. So the retreat has begun. No reason for hurrying or urgency as you make your way to bed. Uh, Just take your time and enjoy it all. And just take it moment by moment. 
and um, we'll see you in the morning. Um, the wake up tomorrow is at six o'clock, and then breakfast is at six thirty. After tomorrow morning, we'll have an early morning sitting as well. And you know, if you're really experienced and you're awake, feel free to come into the hall to sit earlier than than um, six if you'd like. Okay. So have a good night's rest and um, sleep well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.